Thank you guys so much for uh, playing. Great job. Amazing job, guys. Um, thank you. Um, we've been in the book of Acts, and this is actually our second to the last week in the book of Acts. And then we're on to uh, something else after that. But today's story is going to be really exciting because there's going to be a, uh, a storm that lasts two weeks and a shipwreck, and then Paul gets bit by a poisonous snake. So um, before we get into the story, though, I want you to discuss uh, your first three questions at your table. So go ahead and discuss one, two, and three right now. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, it seems like uh, every week I'm kind of fighting the clock here because you guys had this this annoying tendency to eat lunch after uh, we have Sunday morning. So um, we're going to kind of push through this passage, lead to more, some more discussion at the end in just a moment. Uh, but we've skipped like four chapters from last week. And so the reason for that is because Paul's basically standing before different rulers of different provinces and sharing his testimony in four different ways. So we skipped it. It sounded a little bit redundant. So now we've, we've fast-forwarded all the way to Acts chapter 27. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. And we're going to kind of uh, summarize part of it, read part of it, summarize part of it, and so on. But uh, let's go ahead and pull up our, our handy map. I have a map. I should have a map on there. So um, now let me just uh, kind of give you an idea of where we're at. Uh, the last we heard, Paul had gone to Jerusalem, so um, actually uh, some, some time has passed, and now he is going to be taken as a prisoner on a ship all the way to Rome. That's the final destination point. So what I want to do is show you sort of the journey here. We'll kind of walk through this, and we'll see the, the story, how it plays out in just a moment. But here's what Paul does. He goes from Jerusalem, goes to uh, Caesarea, then by ship... He jumps on a ship to this place called Sidon, okay? Now, what they would do back then is they would not have passenger ships like we have today. Today, you would say, I want to go from here to there. You go get a ticket. It's a passenger situation, whether it be a train, plane, or a uh, ship. But back then, uh, sea travel was not like you didn't just have a vacation to, like, Cyprus, right? And so what you had to do is you had to go and just jump on a grain ship somewhere and be like, hey, uh, where is this ship heading? And they'd say, we're going to Cyprus. You'd say, I want to go to Cyprus. And you would, like, try to, like, basically, like, it's like ship hitchhiking, okay? And uh, this is how they would travel back then if you had to go from one place to another. So you never really knew quite what you're getting yourself into. And uh, can you imagine that today? Like, if, you're, if you have to go to, like, California, you, like, go and get on a boxcar in, uh, in downtown Temple and just be like, hey, uh, can, I, can I get on your boxcar and, and sit back here with the chickens? Is that okay? And, um... So that's what they would do to have to, to go somewhere, uh, you know, far across that part of the world. So, um, so basically they go from, from Sidon over here to this place called, they go around Cyprus, they go over here to Myra, and it's at Myra they decide to get on another ship. So you've got to go from like one ship to another. So they find this grain ship going to Rome. Now, here's what happens back then. Back then, they would actually hug the coastline so they would not get caught up into a storm. So they go around the, the bottom here, and they go to this place called Crete, okay? They land at this place called Fair Havens, all right? Now, in the wintertime, or as it gets to be in the fall, that part of the world can be really tricky when it comes to sea travel. In fact, my wife and I kind of saw this firsthand. Uh, my wife, Courtney, and I went to uh, a place called Capri, 
which is off the coast of Italy. It's actually about right here in that area right in there. We go to Capri uh, just in like late September, early October. So this is the same time. It's like late. It's like early fall. And uh, we get on a boat from Naples to get to Capri. It's like a 45-minute ferry boat ride. And on the way out, the, the sea was like glass. I mean, it was like you could water ski on the Mediterranean that day. It was so smooth. It was more smooth than Lake Belton on a good day, okay? And so that was the first. So four days later, we're taking the same ferry ride from Capri back to Naples. And I get seasick really easily, as many of you know. And I come down, we come down the mountain in our car, and we see the, the, the white caps all over the Mediterranean. It's like this really windy day. There's just big waves everywhere. And so it goes from like a sea of glass to like this just really rocky sea in a matter of days. And this can happen very quickly. And so this is kind of the time of year that Paul is traveling in the fall where winds could just kick up any moment and you could be in a storm before you know it. So they, Paul suggests to, his, to the crew he's with, he's a prisoner, mind you, he's a prisoner on this grain ship, there are 260 people with him on this ship, and he says, guys, my suggestion would be that we stay here at Fairhaven, okay? But the ship captains think they know more than Paul does, and so they decide to try to harbor somewhere over here. They decide to go leave Fairhaven and try to harbor somewhere over here at a place called Phoenix, not Phoenix, Arizona, but Phoenix right there. And so what happens is, this wind kicks up as they're pulling out from Fair Havens, and they get caught up into a storm, right? And this storm lasts for two weeks, right? They're going all over this part of the Mediterranean, up and down, up and down, up and down, until finally they land at a place called Malta. We'll get to that in just a moment when they actually land at that island. But what I want you to see is, to look with me in, in uh, tw- chapter 27, verses 21 to 25. And so while they're on this little two-week detour because of the storm, um, they can't see the stars. The stars was their navigation equipment. For two weeks, they have no idea where they are. So can you imagine this, this scenario where you're on a plane going somewhere, and the captain comes on and says, guys, um, I, I'm sorry, but we've lost all navigation ability. We've lost all navigation equipment, and we're going to be up here for a while right? So for two weeks, they are on the water in a storm, and they have no idea where they are. They can't see, they can't see the stars, the, the sun, the moon, so they have no clue where they're heading to, and this is their situation. Look at Acts chapter 27, verses 21, 25. Here's what it says. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, This is like him saying, I told you so. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So is that encouraging? Oh, so we should take courage. We're not going to die, but the ship's going to be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Wait a second. Okay, so don't be afraid. You're just going to go stand trial before Caesar. Okay? That's not scary. 
and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So they don't eat food for two weeks because they're anxious, they're worried, they're scared by being on this boat. Anyone here ever been so anxious and terrified that you could not eat for a number of days, possibly a week? Yes. You've been, listen up, you've been in these situations, right? Now, I can think back to uh, a recent flight. Um, We flew from where I'm from, Virginia, back to Dallas-Fort Worth a few months ago, and uh, there's one thing I can't stand is turbulence. Anybody here just hate turbulence, right? Like, it's not so much like just the bumps and whatnot, but it is like the, the sheer fear of like, we're going to die, okay? Right? And so we're flying back from, uh, from Washington, Dulles, we're flying into DFW, and for about an hour, there's like this heavy turbulence, and I am looking out the right side of the plane, and I'm seeing like a lightning outside our window, okay? Like it's just, it's not, it's not really raining. We're trying to go around the storm, but there's all kinds of wind and whatnot, so the storm's just kind of rocking the plane, you know? And so it's like you instantly just feel you're reading a good book, then all of a sudden you're like, we're going to die, right? And so you have this anxious feeling, and so at that moment, if someone said, hey, here's a nice juicy steak, I'll be like, I don't want the steak. I want to live, right? And so you, you feel anxious. It's like your stomach is infused with acid, and you just feel like, I can't eat. I'm so worried we're going to die. This is where they were for two weeks. Two weeks. The turbulence for, for us lasted maybe 30 minutes, and for them it lasts for two weeks. So imagine being in this state of fear. And what we see here is we see Paul, who's a man of great faith, he, he gives his faith, in a sense, he, he gives his faith to them and encourages these men because he believes God and what God said. And so go to my next slide. Write this quote down. The faith of one can encourage the faith of everyone. The faith of one can encourage the faith of everyone. What we see here is Paul, who's, as we know, the only believer that we know of except for Luke on this, on this journey. Everyone else is terrified and scared. And Paul has this great faith because God told him he was going to deliver him from this this storm. And so because of his faith, Paul turns to the men he's with and says, men, take courage, have faith. I'm not saying that they're saved yet, but he's saying take courage, have faith. And this is the exact reason, listen to me on this, this is the exact reason why we think it's important for you here to be involved in community, to be involved in relationships, because here's what happens when when you're a part of the body of Christ. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, it might be the faith of someone else that encourages you to continue to have faith. It might be just one person in your friendship group that is strong in faith. And by you being around those people, you're encouraged by that and and, and their faith rubs off on you. This is what can happen. Hey, guys, stop doing that, please. Thank you. This is what can happen when one person has great faith, like, like Paul had faith, is that person can be an encouragement to other people and, and bring them along with the faith that they have. Look at, um, 
let's skip down to uh, verse 42. And what happens next is, uh, I'll summarize what happens between that verse and this next verse. Uh, the sailors get really scared, and they try to escape on a lifeboat, but the soldiers on the ship cut the lifeboat from the, uh, the ship so they can't escape because one guy wants to help save Paul. The next morning, they see land, finally. After two weeks of being on the sea, they see land. And they decide to head for the, the shore, so they, they, they put the sails up, and they, they head for land, and the ship hits a sandbar a little bit too far from shore. And the ship begins to break apart because of the waves. So what happens next is verse 42. It says, The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So in that day, if a prisoner escaped on a ship like this, the soldiers would die because they let the prisoner escape. So the soldiers are saying, let's just go ahead and kill the prisoners so they won't swim away and escape from us, and we'll, we'll die anyway later on. So let's just go ahead and kill them now and uh, be done with it. But there's this, one, there's this one guy that wants to save Paul. And what we see is God's hand on Paul's life. No matter what circumstance he encounters, God's hand is on his life because God has a plan for Paul. The island they land on is called Malta. I have a picture of that in modern day. And it's pretty amazing. And uh, what's funny about the Mediterranean, though, is that you look at that picture and you think, that looks like Cancun. It looks like you could just walk out there and it looks really warm. Whenever you see clear water, you think it's just warm, right? You just picture it as being warm. Well, I've been in the Mediterranean, and at this time of year, it is freezing. And if you had a storm to that and it's raining, it is really, really cold. And so these guys shipwreck at Malta, probably not right there, but somewhere on the coast there. And they, uh, they come to land and they meet the islanders there at Malta. So look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 28. Look at uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, well, he must be a god. Now, I love this because you see how, you see how they thought back then, okay? So Paul's in a storm. He's in a storm. He's in a shipwreck. Now he's bitten by a snake, which that's a bad two weeks right there. Um, the islanders know he's a prisoner, so they think this is justice coming back to get him. Then when they realize he's not going to die from the snake bite, they say, oh, he must be a god. Now, to go from like a murderer to a god in a matter of minutes is not bad, right? So let's read on to verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the land of the island. Great name. He welcomed us to his home and showed us 
generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. When we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So this man, who's like the, one of the rulers of the island named Publius, it's a great name, uh, his father is sick. And so Paul wants to heal his father. And so what happens is Paul goes and heals this guy's dad. As a result, people hear about this. They all come. They all get their diseases cured as well. And what we see here is that as we follow the story of Paul, is it seems like every time we look at Paul, he's always alongside of a big-time ruler, always alongside a big-time leader. And what you see is, as a result of Paul's suffering, he is placed in some really important high places to have influence on important people. Do you think God's sovereignty might play into that a little bit? I'm just going to guess here that, that just maybe God has a plan to reach the places that Paul goes to, and he does it by placing Paul alongside these important people so they can have an impact as well once Paul is gone. What we saw also see here is that even while Paul is a, is a prisoner, he is still a missionary. No matter what circumstance he finds himself in, he is doing the work of the gospel. He is still a missionary. He's not sitting there going, okay, I'm supposed to be in Rome. God, what's the deal? I'm supposed to be going to Rome. God, what is this detour thing on Malta? What, what is this storm thing? What is this shipwreck thing? I mean, getting bit by a snake, seriously? Can things get any worse? What we see is we see Paul is a missionary wherever he goes. And so what I want you to get from this is three main things. Write these down. Then we'll do some more discussion in a moment. The first thing is this. The worst tragedies can be the best opportunities. The worst tragedies can be the best opportunities. Think about this. If there was no shipwreck, how would this island hear the gospel? Now, I'm sure God could find some other way, but if there was no shipwreck, how, how would this island, how would this leader of this island ever hear the gospel? We don't know. Some of you in this room have been through horrible tragedies, awful tragedies. Do you let it paralyze you? Do you let it keep you from what God has for you? I hear stories all the time of people in our group that just, I look at your situation and I go, man, that's just an awful tragedy. That's an awful circumstance to be in. And it's an array of things that you guys have to go through, I know, firsthand. But do you see those things as an opportunity for what God has for you rather than letting it paralyze you? You see, I think sometimes God uses tragedies of your life to further the gospel. And Paul could have screamed out, God, this is not the plan you said. You said I was going to Rome, and what is this? But he ministered right where God had him in that moment. And there are times where your life takes unexpected detours. It goes in routes that you don't expect. And I think that what God might be trying to say to you is that maybe God even allowed those things to happen in your life so that you could have greater opportunity. 
than you would have if those things did not happen in your life. You see, many of us think that God's will is always going to be the easy street, the easy road, but God's will is very often sometimes the hardest road where you suffer the most and struggle the most. And Paul did not let that fact get him down. Paul did not let those things pull him back and shrink back from spreading the gospel wherever he was. The second thing I want you to get from this is this. Storms reveal character. Storms reveal character. Whatever storm you are in in your life, your real self will come out in the midst of that storm. Storms reveal what you are putting your faith in. For the people on this, this boat, they were living in fear for two weeks, and Paul trusted God. And what we see here is that it's not just what happens to us that's really important, but it's how we respond to what happens. Do you respond in fear or in faith? Storms reveal character, reveal who you really are. And then the last thing I want you to get from this is this. Believing God is more difficult than believing in God. Believing God is more difficult than believing in God. There are plenty of people that can say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he exists. I believe he's somewhere out there. That's just to kind of have this mental belief of, yeah, I believe in God somewhere out there. But Paul had a promise from God, and he believed it. He believed what God said. And so you have to ask yourself the question, do I just believe in God I believe he exists somewhere out there, somewhere out in space. Or do you believe God? Do you believe the words of God? When when God says certain things about relationships, dating relationships, those kinds of things, do you believe what he says? Do you respond in faith in the way that Paul responds in faith? And so God gives Paul this vision to reassure him. We don't get that maybe in the flesh vision like Paul got, but we have Scripture. We still know what God says. We still know the words of God. So do you just believe in God, or do you actually believe God in faith? And have you submitted your life to Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? And you're living it out through a life of obedience. Let's go ahead and wrap up with your last uh, few discussion questions, and you guys can pray for your tables when you're done. Go ahead and discuss.